0: The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. Welcome to The Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country.
1: We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care, education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of The Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. And welcome back to the Veterans Report. Hope you're doing well. Uh, We've got, we've got, what do we have? We have news. We have a guest coming up uh, at the halfway point. We're going to speak with Paul Cunningham, the president of the Korean War Veterans Association. Uh, Paul's a great guy. He's got a lot of good information. Um, He's been involved in that group for for a long time. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with the organization and then touch on current events related to, Korea, what's going on with the Korean Peninsula, uh, repatriation of remains, uh, and other things, other topics. But Paul's a great guy, so hang in there. Uh, halfway Mark, we'll speak with Paul. Um, and if you have any questions uh, or you want to add comments, please you know, let us know. You can tweet us. You can uh, uh, jump on Facebook. You can email uh, at theveteransreport.com. We also want to give a shout-out to our partners at WTF Nation Radio, they are making wonderful things happen, uh, gaining listeners, gaining a following, uh, and really having fun. And that's that's the key. So if you haven't checked out their programming, WTFNationRadio.com. They're online all week, every week. Uh, like I said, having fun, touching on all kinds of stuff. So And it's interactive, so you can get on there, you can make comments, can go to the chat rooms. They're on Facebook and Twitter and Mixer and Periscope and TuneIn and uh, YouTube Uh, Did I leave anything out? (laughs) But uh, again, great folks, and we appreciate all their help. So last week, I, where am I? I teed up a, well, before I get started, next week is the uh, Veterans Leadership Program of Pennsylvania Crucible. It's a 70-mile multi-day, I think three-day hike through the lovely and scenic Laurel Highlands here in western Pennsylvania. If you haven't been to the Laurel Highlands and you're looking for somewhere to go and just get away from from noise, uh, I highly suggest it. I mean, Laurel Highlands are, are old, rolling, uh, former mountains-turned sort of uh, hills, <laughs> if you will, but it's a beautiful place out there. It's gorgeous, um, scenic, uh, especially this time of year, right before everything starts turning color, everything's still green. Uh, you know, the thistles are out there, the heathers out there. You still have, uh, you know, green everywhere, and uh, gets down uh, in the Laurel Highlands. Probably gets down in the 50s at night, uh, 55, 60 at night, and then during the day, it's you know 80, 85 uh, this time of year. So, uh, but the Crucible is a it's a fundraising event for the Veterans Leadership Program. They're headquartered in Pittsburgh and they have become uh, probably, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say the preeminent veterans organization here in this city. And they do a lot. They do a lot of fundraising. They do a lot of outreach. They do a lot to help vets, especially homeless vets and helping with employment uh, <clears throat> and and um, and steering folks down the right path. So it's it's grown a lot as an organization. So the uh, the Crucible 70-mile hike, if you want to donate, if you want to help out- You can jump onto their website if I had it in front of me. Um, I think it's—oh, man. Let me look it up real quick. But uh, Veterans Leadership Program of Pennsylvania. And they're always looking for donations. They're always looking for for people to to kick into the kitty. Uh, It's VLP, Victor Lima Papa, Whiskey Papa Alpha, .org. So jump on there, check them out, and, and show these folks some support. Uh, whether it's financially or just send an email or a tweet and say, "Hey, go get them." I mean, it's a, that's it's an arduous hike too. It's not flat trails. It's over rocks. It's through streams. It's up you know inclines and um, so you got to be in shape for it. But like I said, multi-day seventy-mile hike. So we wish them luck. Uh, we'll tee it up next week and uh, and stay engaged. So last week, I don't think I got to this because I was talking, uh, last week we had an awesome interview, awesome interview with Carol Eggert of Comcast. Carol's the senior VP of military and veteran affairs for Comcast, and she's, she's helping vets uh, uh, left and right, you know, in terms of finding them employment with that company and, and really providing resources, not just for vets, but also for employers uh, through her work with Psych Armor. And they offer free classes uh, for employers and different, uh, f- really, for the corporate, uh, corporate America, to tap into what is a vet, why you should hire them, what are the the issues uni- unique unique uh, to to hiring a vet, what does a veteran bring with them, both good and bad, right? Because um, it's not all it's not all uh, <laughs> rosy and work ethic. There are some other things that employers need to take into account when they're hiring a veteran. And so psych armor uh, offers these classes and uh, and different uh, resources available so but again Carol Eggert awesome interview and we can't thank her enough it was um, it, it's that type of thing that we want to keep doing on the show we want to keep bringing people like that on uh, let all of you know hey there are folks out there uh, I know it's real easy to, to look at you know some big nameless, faceless corporation, right? You see their logo and you see their billboards and you just shrug it off and you think, well, that's big America. Here I am with my local group over here. We're actually making a difference. I got it. The little groups, the grassroots ones, the local ones, you are making a difference, right? You're the foundation for the house that we're all building. But the people like Comcast, when you have a uh, a retired brigadier general, uh, and Carol was no slouch while she was in. She She was the real deal, right? Including getting a purple heart. Um, When you have somebody like that, at the level she is, with a corporation that big, you know, and she's still, she's very humble, speaks plainly, and she's out there, uh, again, kicking it down for vets and trying to help them. You you have to recognize that there are people out there in corporate America doing the right thing, right? They're doing good things for our community. So it's, again, it's, I I get it. I get the whole uh, outlook on corporate America. You know, I've, I've been a part of it. Um, <laughs> several times. And it's easy, right? It's easy to look at them and just sort of dismiss it. But there are a lot of good people out there. And those are the folks that we want to highlight, right? We want to highlight the individuals and we want to highlight their efforts because it's their efforts that are closing the gap on the high end, right? And all of you, all of you folks, uh, you know, going through the grind at the local level, community groups uh, even you know the small tiny posts that have 30 or 40 full-time members you're you're working hard at, at that end and so we we can close we can close this whole thing and meet in the middle and ensure that veterans are getting a fair shot at at what everybody else is because I got to tell you um, and this is this is sort of a personal uh, commentary well, uh, upon reflection w- with some some stuff over the last couple of months, I do believe, I pers- without getting into detail, I do believe that there is still, in spite of federal law prohibiting this, I still believe 100% that there is a bias against uh, veterans, military veterans, when it comes to the overall hiring process in this country. I do. And some of you can say, "Oh, well, not with my company." And you know, I I got this job. Well, I, I'm not saying specific, because I'm I'm talking generally, right? Under the umbrella of of U.S. employment, I still think there's a bias there. I believe that. And I have seen more and more examples of people, you know, submitting resumes or applying for jobs. And I'm not I'm not trying to. Uh, uh, not trying to stir the pot here, but I've seen examples of people leaving their military service off a resume or off an application with the hope that it will level set them relative to non-veterans. It didn't used to be that way. It did not used to be that way in this country. And I think part of that, I, this is, again, personal commentary, I think part of that is the drawdown in some of the operations, the bigger ones, Iraq. Uh, and to a certain extent Afghanistan, you know, when Iraq was going on, when it was full-blown and it was, you know, we were going full tilt over there, there were a lot of people bending over backwards uh, begging for vets, right, because it was good PR for them. Let's bring them on, let's bring them on, right? And so you could put that on your resume. You, you could put anything you wanted on a resume. If you were a vet, people were going to hire you. Well, here we are, you know, what, uh, seven, eight years after the uh, after the official uh, pullout, and I think things have changed. I really do. I think that it's the boomerang effect, and I think a lot of employers, a lot of companies, are looking at it like, "Hey, we've got we have a big, big uh, potential employment pool out there. Maybe we can chill with the whole, um, you know, veterans initiatives." But uh, again, you have people like Carol who are out there saying, "No, we we have to do this. They bring something to the table, and and it's helpful to have that liaison, right? Somebody who can translate for a corporation from the veteran side. So." Anyway, that wasn't going anywhere. I just wanted to tee that up as sort of a a personal, um, personal comment on where I think things stand and why it's so important to have advocates in corporate America on behalf of military and vets. You need that. We need to support people like that. Don't grouse about it, right? Let's be part of the solution and not the problem. And with that said, here's another news story that I did not cover. Uh, I think this was posted online. I think this was on the uh, uh, the Twitter Twitter feed and Facebook. Walmart hires more than two hundred six thousand U.S. military veterans and promotes more than thirty thousand since the launch of the Veterans Welcome Home Commitment. And now, keep in mind, this release came out. They put out a release. I think it was last week when they released this, when this news release came out. Uh, Walmart announced that the company has hired more than 206,000 veterans and promoted more than 30,000 to roles with higher pay and greater responsibility since launching its Veterans Welcome Home Commitment in May of 2013. This uh, The commitment guarantees a job offer to any eligible, honorably discharged U.S. veteran. Let me read that again. The commitment, this Veterans Welcome Home Commitment that they're talking about, the commitment guarantees a job offer to any eligible, honorably discharged U.S. veteran who has separated from service since the commitment was announced on Memorial Day 2013. Walmart is now more than 80% of the way to reaching its goal to hire 250,000 veterans by 2020. According to the DOD, about 1,300 vets and their families return to civilian life every day. How's that for a stat? How does that grab you? I didn't realize it was that high. Um, and much like the corporation we mentioned previously, Comcast, uh, Walmart also has a retired brigadier general heading up, you know, spearheading their veterans efforts. Retired brigadier general Gary Profit is the senior director of military programs at Walmart. According to the general, veterans shouldn't have to worry about finding employment so Walmart is here to help service members figure out their new path through civilian life and, for many, start their careers, as we've seen, with the 30,000 promoted since the launch of the commitment. So they introduced this. They had an, Their initial goal was 100,000 vets by the end of 2018. And in May of 2015, just two years later, right, they kicked it off in 2013. In 2015, they revised their goal to hire 250,000 veterans by the end of 2020. And they also uh check this out they revised their eligibility under the Welcome Home Commitment from within 12 months of active duty to any veteran who has been honorably discharged since the announcement of the commitment in 2013. So Walmart is recognizing the the value that, you know, veterans bring to to any job they do. Right, especially in the civilian sector. Now they are not just so everybody understands this, right? Because I've had people email me and and ask about this, right? Not not in a bad way, just you know, uh, being inquisitive. Um, it, 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 basically, the generally speaking, the question is, uh, well, I want to do this, right? I want to. I'll, I'll make this up. I want to be in management. Okay, well, what's your degree in? Well, I don't have one. What'd you do in the military? Uh I was artillery. (laughs) come on, man. What are you going to manage? You you know, you got to work your way up. You got to, you have to put in a little bit, right? You got to, you got to meet them in the middle with, with education and experience and training and, and put your time in. So what, what, I guess my point is corporations like Walmart, right? Who again, they have a retired brigadier general, just like Comcast, spearheading their military and veteran effort. They're looking at this. They're not saying we're going to put everybody in a, a, an executive role. I mean, that's not realistic. Okay, it's not. But they are saying that you're guaranteed a shot. You're guaranteed a job with them. You know what? You might start off sweeping the floors. You might. So what? A company this big, you don't think they have opportunity. you don't think you don't think there's turnover to the point where uh, you, you could slide into something, putting your nose to the grindstone, right? Just like earning another stripe while you're in, right? Or, or for you officers, uh, I don't know what the equivalent is because I wasn't an officer. So, but <laughs> um, maybe a good eval, right? But it's it's the same thing, right? Put in the effort, and uh, it's going to be rewarded, especially in corporate America, especially, right? You dial into whoever your manager is, right? You lock into their personality, you work it, man. It's not it's no different than when you were in a Quonset hut, right? Or in a, uh, you know, the old nasty World War II barracks down at Bragg that had mold in the showers. I've oh, been there, done that. Or, uh, you know, for you Air Force guys living in a four-star resort. I'm kidding, 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 kidding. Um, but you put the effort in, you're going to be rewarded. And that's what Walmart is saying. They're saying 250,000 vet hires by 2020. So they're still looking for people. So if you're out there and you're aimless, right? Right. Um, honorable discharge and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. you know, I've been doing this, I've been bartending, I've been doing part time whatever. Uh, give them a shot. Give them a shot. i I know for a fact that Walmart managers make a pretty good living, right and then you move up to like what uh, region no area manager and then regional manager and then you're you know then your regional director and it's just it keeps it's exponential, right? Give them a shot. Give Comcast a shot. do a search for corporation. If, you, if you're if you near a computer, right, you want to do a Google search, see who's really engaging with vets. See who's getting it corporate-wise, right? Do a Google search for, I don't know, use a couple of keywords. Do like, you know, corporate, uh, uh, I don't know, veteran or military program, something like that. Something real basic and see what pops up. And I know there are magazine articles. I should try to dig those up. I know there have been magazine articles on corporations that are bending over backwards for vets, and they're doing it sincerely. Uh, This is a big deal, though. This is a big, big deal. 200,000 vets already, and they want to hire about 50,000 more in the next two years. Again, guaranteeing a job for honorably discharged vets. And you have somebody who's been in uniform heading this up. So, I don't know. Go, go check it out. <clears throat> but uh, maybe we can, you know what? I sent a note to Walmart. We're going to try to get uh, General Profit on here at some point. I think that would be great to have a conversation with him. So, and if you're listening, you know what, honestly, if you're listening, if you're out there listening and you work for a corporation or a company that has somebody doing similar work, uh, hit us up, drop an email, let us know. We'll get them on here. We'll talk to them. We want to highlight that. We want to, we want to point out the people who are doing the right thing. So let's get them on here, right? If you know somebody that's doing this stuff, let's get them some airtime, right? Get them some social media, So, we posted a, another story, another one over here. This is about, you might have noticed there is a huge, huge, uh, uh, relatively speaking, slate of women vets running for office uh, this time around, this this election cycle. <clears throat> now, most of them, and I don't know what it says, but most of them, well, I do know what it says, that most of them are Democrats. Um, the Democrat Party has made a huge push over the last 18 months to try to recruit. Uh, women military vets to run for office which is kind of smart on their part right they're trying to counter uh they're trying to counter Trump on two fronts right the gender thing and then also the military thing <clears throat> oh man excuse me um so there was a i I've seen story after story after story about uh, w- women veterans who put their story out there there was the one in Texas not too long ago who it was some story about being on a helicopter and it was shot down and like her campaign was basically you know I I saved the whole air crew cuz I lit up the uh, I lit up the terrorists and then it was kind of debunked like she wasn't she wasn't she was the only one firing at the time cuz they weren't really uh they weren't really taking incoming and it was that kind of thing right a little bit murky well there's another one out um Amy McGrath who is running for election in the, uh, where are we, Kentucky's 6th Congressional District. She's a—Amy McGrath is a former Marine Corps fighter pilot. She was inducted into the Kentucky Aviation Hall of Fame two years ago, and that's where she filmed campaign ads that drew national attention. And it's also—it's <clears throat> also where a group of veterans who support U.S. Representative Andy Barr, a Republican— rallied for more than two hours last week to say she, meaning Amy McGrath, should not be elected in November. So there's a lot of invective back and forth. Uh, There were also some articles online about how—I read them all, and I didn't agree with the title of the story, but it was—the premise was how women are being attacked, how their service records are being attacked. They're not being attacked on the political issues. Um, Opponents are using their military records to— to basically go after them which I, I i mean i follow this stuff pretty closely I, that's nonsensical i mean you, if you're going to embellish your military record then you're fair game you're fair game blumenthal up in uh where's he from New, uh, connecticut right uh richard bloom is it richard blumenthal he, <laughs> he, uh, he, he definitely polished his record a little bit, and people called him out about it. You know, and of course the the first response was, "How dare you, uh, go after a military veteran? Have you no shame?" But if somebody's going to lie about their record, by all means, take them down. I don't. Know, it doesn't matter if you're a vet or or not a vet. If if somebody lies about that, what else are they going to lie about? Of all the thi- and that's the other thing, right? That's how. That's why we got to the point in this country where we have so many cases of stolen valor. You never hear anybody say. You never hear anybody lie and say, uh, "I was in supply." I was. I was. Uh, I was in supply for for nine years, but you know, I don't like to talk about it. You never hear anybody say that, right? You always hear somebody. It's always. It's always. I was a SEAL or I was recon or I was. Uh, special forces, or I was super Delta, cool guy, secret squirrel, and, we, you know, my records are sealed. And you say, how old are you? Oh, I'm 26. Yeah, okay, all right. That's how we got to this point, right? Because everybody's afraid to call out a vet because it's disrespectful. Well, I'm not. I'm not. You, you If you lie about your record, if you embellish your record, esp- I mean, period, but especially, especially for the purpose of getting elected and then living off the taxpayer's dime, oh, I'm going to call you out in a second. I have no patience for that. None. I used to call people out in the service. Right? How many of you did that, right? You, The one guy, it was always the loud guy in the, in the mess hall running his mouth. Start to poke holes in his story and then, he, you know, he'd slink away. So anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but it it is related to all of these women running for office. They are purportedly being attacked, uh, you know, for being women or, uh, you know, their service record is being attacked. If their service record is legit, then, you know, there's a case to be made that that's, that's underhanded and it's low. But if they're lying about it, if they're embellishing, if they're adding to it, uh, or if that's the only thing they're running on, that's the other thing that annoys me with politicians, male or female. If that's the only thing you're running on, you have no business uh, in public office. Talk to me about the issues. Don't talk to me about a job you had. Okay? I'm very proud of my military service. I know most of you guys are, Are you know, it's it, it's, it's it's a badge of honor, right? Say I served. I get that. Okay? I've been there and I, I, I've done it and I'm very proud of it. But that is not the only thing I've done in my life. Furthermore, that is not how I discuss issues political and social issues I don't discuss it through a uniform I, I discuss issues uh, as a citizen as a taxpayer and I think that's what people should should run on if you want to make your campaign hey I'm you know I'm I'm Jim cannon and I, I believe in lower taxes and smaller government and uh, a free car to every house oh by the way I happen to have served in the military that's cool but when when your entire campaign is vote for me because I was in the military period get out of here not no, <laughs> no. If the issues are an afterthought, you have no business in public office, none. But anyway, uh, keep an eye on that because there are a lot of women. Like I said, there are a lot of women uh, running for office this cycle, and it'll it'll be interesting to see how they do once the midterms are over. So I don't know if that's reflective of. Uh, The gender gap between uh, sort of the Democrats and the Republicans in terms of, um, uh, like I said, stacking them up against Trump, right, because he's been called a misogynist and a sexist. And if they run women against him, maybe that garners more votes that way using the gender roles. Uh, I don't I don't know if the election will be reflective of that, of that as the sort of the apex of the issue. Or is it because of their political views or is it because they are women who were in the military? Right, so it'll be interesting to see I don't listen to political pundits because uh half of them are wrong one hundred percent of the time, and you never know which ones they are so <clears throat> and in other news. I will tee this up real quick. Uh, Disabled veterans are now eligible for Space A travel. That was part of the 2019 National Defense Authorization Act, which was recently signed into law. It includes a measure that allows fully disabled vets the ability to utilize space-available travel. I was blown away by the fact that that had not already happened, but it is now law. So if you're a disabled vet, you can travel Space A, which is awesome. At least money-wise, not comfort-wise. Um, so we're going to jump to a quick, we're going to jump to a break. And then when we come back, we're going to speak with uh, Paul Cunningham, the president of the Korean War Veterans Association. So hang in there. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash the veterans report. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at the vets report. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at the veteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening. And thank you for supporting our veterans community. And we are back with our guest. Uh, We have with us on the line Paul Cunningham, who is the president of the Korean War Veterans Association, which is a national, uh, it's a national organization. Paul, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, You you took this office recently, didn't you?
0: Yes, I was installed uh, on June 25th. June 25th. Oh uh, wow! And it's been a tall order. So we've had quite a number of events. uh, between then and now, and more to come.
1: Well, that's good, though. It means you're you're staying busy and and getting the association the attention it deserves.
0: Yes, we uh, of course we on June 25th we marked the um, anniversary of the start of the Korean War back on June 25th, 1950, and uh, we had ceremonies at our Korean War Memorial in uh, Washington on that day. And uh, then uh, one month later, we observed the 65th anniversary of the signing of the armistice, the ceasefire, so to speak. And uh, we combined with that uh, uh, one of our two annual board meetings of KWBA. And um, we we were in both these uh, instances. We were joined by the. Uh, Republic of South Korea's embassy, and the uh, um, military uh, affairs uh, officer. So uh, there's great participation from the uh, Korean government. And uh, now we're getting ready for uh, our next meeting in in Orlando. So uh, that'll be a general membership meeting. And that is when? That's October? Uh, yes, October seventeenth to the twentieth
1: uh, twenty first well it it sounds like uh, things are moving along in the right direction, and you're staying busy and engaged, which is what what everybody needs to see. Um, if you could though, Paul, that back up just a second and for for our listeners' sake, what is your military background, your personal military history?
0: Well, my background is typical of so many who came out of high school in 1948 uh, with kind of not knowing what we wanted to do. We didn't have guidance counselors in that day and career planning and so forth. So it was uh, kind of up to each one uh, to decide what you wanted to do. And to buy myself some time, I thought, well, I'll enlist in the Air Force and uh, pick out a tech school that was... uh, uh, something would interest me and take up some of my three-year enlistment, so I um, um, became a radar repairman, and um, I uh, graduated from my tech school in in, uh, March of 1950 and uh, assigned to a base in South Carolina, and of course, on June 25th, the uh, hostility started in, in Korea with the uh, invasion by the uh, North Koreans. So within, um, <clears throat> within days, we were um, put on orders to um, ship to Korea. And um, we arrived over there in September of 1950 and uh, operated at several locations. And uh, from Busan to uh, Incheon, Pyeongtaek, and finally at, at Kimpo, I spent a year and a half uh, in Korea. Um, Our mission over there was to keep these radar sets working so that we could maintain air surveillance, both enemy and friendly, uh, incoming, outgoing, over the entire Korean Peninsula. And uh, we have a a very fine record of one time uh, over there. And then I, um, uh, in February 1952, I returned and completed my enlistment in Texas and then uh, uh, discharged and then went to college and so forth and on with my career.
1: Well, that's that's pretty amazing, though. So when you joined the Air Force, there was no indication that you were going to head to Korea or anywhere else, Right.
0: No. (laughs) We were just at the tail end of the Korean War or the World War II, but we were an area of peace here. And uh, really, I guess the Cold War really hadn't cranked up in Europe uh, so much at that that point. So it was kind of like I wanted to go in and out, give three years. Well, of course, when the war broke out, the first thing that President Truman did was to extend everyone's enlistment by one year. So my three years became four. So, um, but I still had, you know, about two years to go, so it didn't make that much difference.
1: Well, I, I know a lot of folks listening of all the different generations and all the different eras can definitely relate to that, uh, you know, and it, sort of an involuntary, uh, extension. So, uh, wow, that's a, that's an amazing story though. Um, so if you could, uh, walk through, you know, let people know what what is sort of the history, what was the genesis of the Korean War Veterans Association?
0: Well, the Korean War Veterans, and it it took the initiative of one individual uh, who happened to uh, have served in uh, Korea in that tough fighting in the defense of the Pusan perimeter. Uh, His name was um, Norris. He was from New York State, and uh, he started the ball rolling, and he had KWVA chartered in the state of, of New York, and uh, or I should say incorporated in the state of New York. And then they uh, began growing, and uh, I don't know what the peak enrollment was, but um, they uh, then to um, the gain more stature in two thousand and eight they received a congressional charter and of course that set forth uh, other stipulations but it does give us that imprimatur of the congressional charter to um, to help support us and give us greater le- legitimacy
1: so <clears throat> I also know back during uh, right, and you mentioned the tail end of World War II, um, sort of, you know, on the upswing. Uh, that's when Korea kicked off, and then when that was, uh, you know, when it, when things sort of went quiet for a little bit, then Vietnam kicked off. Um, and I know, you know, my grandfather, for example, served in World War Two, and then he was called up for Korea.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and there were other guys who served in all three conflicts. So, have you seen over the year? Because I know you've been involved with KWBA for for some time. Have you seen a lot of members? Uh, who who were they had that overlap in service?
0: Uh, yes, there are quite a few who uh, have the World War II, Korea War, and Vietnam. Even a lot of them, World War II and Korea, and some Korea, and then Vietnam, and some all three. So it uh, it's the three three wars occurring in close proximity there.
1: Um, so now what, and I, I'm sure they have some wonderful stories to tell, so it's got to be, uh, it's got to be interesting to, to hear from some of those guys. Um, what is, what today, what is the, what is the mission uh, of the association?
0: Well, first of all, is to um, uh, look out for our Korean veterans. That is first and foremost, and then, Right next to that is, um, I should say first, is to have the return of the remains of those who lost their lives uh, in action uh, be of the, above the DMZ. That is first and foremost uh, in our minds, and uh, it's uh, <clears throat> we won't be happy until the last set of remains is returned. Then, of course, we look for our uh, looking out for our own veterans who did survive, and we are certainly supportive of a free Korea. Um, and, uh, an awful lot with the um, the loss of thirty six thousand five hundred and seventy four lives is a, is a big price to pay for anything. But um, the way we're looking at it now is. Uh, what South Korea has done, having been liberated uh, from oppression and allowed to um, develop their country and become like the tenth strongest economy in the world. it uh, It is um, unprecedented, and uh, certainly it gives us a great sense of satisfaction that, oh, because, oh yeah, we did lose a lot of men. In addition to that, thirty-six thousand, there was one hundred two thousand who were wounded in action. So, you know, if there had been anything less than that, I think there'd been some disappointment. But we couldn't be prouder of Korea for what they've done, and uh, the Korean people never miss an opportunity to express their gratitude for what was done for them. And it's, uh, and again, I think this is unprecedented. In the annals of the world history, the um, they they do so much. All of our activities are um, supported by the um, the Republic of South Korean government um, by providing um, venues, uh, uh, underwriting costs of uh, banquets, um, and of course, one of the things that. uh, They they initiated about 40 years ago, was to invite the veterans back. And they showed them around, put them up uh, in nice places, and concluding banquet, they would award them the Ambassador for Peace Medal. The kind of thing, after a few years, uh, many of these veterans can't travel. So they started making it available here in this country. So, um, I know my own local chapter in November of of 2015, we had 36 members who were eligible to receive that award. And uh, working through the consulate in New York City, uh, they sent out a consul with these medals, and we had a very elaborate um, uh, presentation ceremony. And um, they, um, like I said, they never missed a chance to express their gratitude the um we just got a letter from um, um, a young lady in Korea uh her father is I think in the legislature over there who wrote an essay on um, the um what what does it meant to her and we are going to publish her essay in our national newsletter uh, back on in um Uh, On June 25th, at our ceremonies at our memorial, we had a young man who uh, was turning 14 who read his essay on this, I believe. and It was from the standpoint of the firstborn son of a firstborn son of a firstborn son who happened to be two years old when the war broke out in Pusan, and this is him what he was able to come to the United States and he was attending a, uh, a very pres- prestigious school in suburban Washington. And But it's, they are instilling in their young people this feeling that uh, uh, what, and it's not just the U.S., but the other 20 nations um, under the United Nations command who did so much for them in their hour of need. So they, uh, uh, like I say, it's being inculcated in schools, the curriculums, and uh, so it's really um, unprecedented.
1: You know, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a, a lesson or a message that I think is lost on a lot of people, and obviously the Republic of Korea is doing exactly what uh, I mean, they're performing the way somebody should perform, um, you know, in the face of abject, you know, liberty and freedom, and that's that's yes. why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's um, it's it's so it's gratifying to hear that, uh, and I know yes, I know Korea so, as a whole. It's I mean,
0: they almost overwhelming. They they just never miss a trick. <laughs> but there's also um, another gentleman, a, a Ph.D. Uh, professor uh, who works under the Republic of Korea's Ministry for Patriots and Veterans Affairs, and he uh, has conducted something over a thousand interviews of veterans um, and getting their, their stories, what they did over there. And these are online. There is a digital library, and again, this is aimed at having a resource that their young people can refer to. And uh, the uh, I was contacted uh, uh, back in uh, I think February that, um, that Dr. John Wu Han is his name uh, has conducted over a thousand interviews, but he didn't have that many from Pennsylvania. And he wanted to know what we could do, so uh, so we set up uh, 22 interviews here in uh, the Lancaster area, and uh, in a space of four days, and uh, these uh, again were taken, they're recorded, and they are online and can be viewed. So, uh, and now what Dr. Hahn is doing is working with uh, history teachers, and through the uh, National Council for the social studies to develop lesson plans that can be you know worked into the school's history curriculum and uh, we're very pleased at this effort because I don't know if you know it or not but uh, the Korean War um, had the nickname the Forgotten war and uh, of course we're all trying to dispel that notion and to rather be known as the remembered victory, and, uh, and I think all you have to do is look at the uh, South Korea's economy to uh, to uh, know that it truly was a victory.
1: And, and that's, I think, it's amazing that uh, somebody would take the time and, and put in the effort to do that because it is important uh, to keep those memories uh, and and expose them to younger generations so everybody understands their roots. They understand what they're looking at when they're there. Yes. Um, now that's fantastic. So let me let me switch gears a little bit. You had mentioned uh, part of your mission involving uh, those who were lost over there who never returned, um, like the, the KIA and the, and the POWs never returned. Um, so one of the reasons I reached out to you, Paul, is I wanted to talk to you uh, about the headlines over the last couple of months. And you know I'm sure all the listeners are aware. I know you're aware. Uh, the the presidential administration, the Trump administration, like so many others before, um, has made what what I would consider a a valiant effort to thaw relations on the peninsula. And it it looked really promising for a while with the repatriation of, I think it was 55 sets of remains. But, um, you know, recently things seem to have slid backwards as, as as is so often the case with the current regime over there. So, Having said that, and having pointed to part of your mission as uh, bringing home those who are left over there, what are your thoughts on the current status of the talks and negotiations? And from the standpoint of your organization, how bi- relatively speaking, how big a deal is it getting back uh, 50 or so fallen warriors when you're faced with thousands?
0: Well, that's, that's the key. And uh, you know, we have 55 sets of remains. And by uh, the best calculations from the uh, Department of Defense, there are still about 50, 250 sets of remains remaining above the uh, DMZ. And uh, of course, the other, there are 600 altogether. Now, some of these could be somewhere in South Korea or they could be. Uh, Somewhere in the waters around Korea or over in uh, China. Uh, So we don't know. But it's with 50, 250 roughly, uh, sets of remains remain up there. When the the talks in Singapore were proposed, uh, our organization, under my predecessor, did draft a letter to the White House and expressed that uh, our concern that. Return of the remains of the KIA's would be a prime topic in their talks in Singapore. And beyond that, that's about as much as we can do. Uh, you asked earlier about um, you know, what we could do uh, by way of in politically. Uh, we're we're pretty well constrained from engaging in, in any kind of thing that resembles lobbying or any sort of like that. But we, we are free to, of course, as we did, let the president know this is one of our chief concerns. Now, we're joined by all the families of those members and uh, in, in wanting that. We want to see a reunification of Korea, uh, of a uh, denuclearized Korea. And uh, we would like to see things uh, turn to some sort of Normalcy. Uh, again, hopefully, it can be accomplished. We are, and we said this at the outset, very cautiously optimistic. And as you cited, with the things just in the last couple of days here bogging down, we, like I said, we don't want to be fooled. We don't think our government should be fooled by uh, any uh outreach and so forth that uh, is not uh really genuine uh but uh certainly we're we're hopeful um i think the um what we know of our uh, friends in south korea they're likewise very hopeful but uh but we we certainly don't want to be fooled and uh um the uh it just dragged along in, in some of their Political chicanery over, over there.
1: <laughs> well, I it, it I, I know it's frustrating just for the layperson, but it has to be especially frustrating for uh, people who have lost friends over there, or were served, you know, served over there, or were part of that effort um, to to see this constant, this this political yo yo, this back and forth. But um, I, I just I just kind of wanted to get your your view. Uh, your take on that. So thank you for that.
0: Yes, yeah, it's. Uh, I uh, should mention here that um, our Department of Defense has a Department of POWMIA Accountability Agency, and uh, I think this agency does an exceptional job of keeping the families of the those who have uh, a relative uh, whose remains haven't been returned. Keeping them informed, just back in um, on August the 9th, they had a, a uh, conference in Washington. I think there were something like 750 uh, relatives and family members attended that briefing by the Department of Defense uh, DPAA as we refer to it. And um, I think they're really to be commended for that. Uh, We have one of our members, who happens to be a director of KWDA, who is our liaison to the Department of Defense um, Committee. He attends their briefings, and of course he in turn briefs us. So we have that that interaction there uh, with them. But uh, I must say, they do an exceptionally good job.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask if you have a. I have to assume, but I, I wanted to ask if you have a relatively good relationship with uh, the various federal agencies in and around the nation's capital because I know that's that is how things get done, right? Yes,
0: yes. We've uh, it's been cultivated over the years, and uh, in addition, uh, we have an, an executive director who is based close to Washington. And he has the pulse of things there. Um, he interacts uh, with the uh, agencies of government, as well as the uh, military attache who works out of the uh, South Korean embassy in Washington. So, um, again, it's uh, uh, he performs a really major function in, uh, in making sure that, that we who are scattered across the country um uh can be on top of things.
1: So you you guys are pretty dialed in then. You you're keeping
0: uh
1: you're keeping your thumb on we, the uh, here. You got that what's going on. We hope
0: to that's that's our mission and uh we um we have another major project. As you know we have a memorial. Have you ever visited our memorial memorial in Washington? I have, yes. Yeah, it's uh it's unlike most mem- memorials. It it really has a profound effect on most people who view it. And uh, we're working on an adjunct to that, uh, which will be a wall of remembrance. Uh, this wall will be rendered in in glass, so uh, and that was kind of prescribed by the Park Service. They don't want to obstruct the uh, view shed. It's a new word I, I picked up there from them, theoryshed the VISTA that you would see. So anyway, this will be in glass, but the names of the 36,574 will be inscribed there. Now, when Congress passed the bill approving it and President Obama signed it, it stipulated no public monies would be used to build this thing. That means that it's um, it's up to um, us to get it from private sources. And uh, we do have... Um, he promised that the um, Republic of South Korea will uh, underwrite a significant portions, portion. But it's a, um, it remains for us, um, uh, there is a, a, Korea, a Korea War Memorial Wall of Remembrance Foundation charged with the responsibility for raising these funds. And uh, so it will be up to each chapter to try to do their part to uh, come up with some contribution for that. So uh, it has a hefty price tag on it, but um, it, it may take a couple of years, but we'll get it done. And this, this will kind of um, complete that whole complex of the, the, the 19 statues, the pond, the reflecting pond, and then this wall. It'll be a, uh, quite a sight to see.
1: So, uh, mentioning that, I mean, we have about a minute left and I do want to tee up real fast for everybody listening. Uh, in addition to everything you mentioned about that, uh, I want everybody to, uh, to check out your website. It's at kwva.us. Uh, again, that's kwva.us. Uh, and you can find all kinds of information there and, and make a donation. Um, so about a minute left, Paul, what would be your message to those listening on behalf of, of the organization, you and all the, the Korea vets?
0: Well, of course, this, this um, notion that we're the forgotten war, I think, looms large in most people's minds, and uh, we we wish that um, historians, uh, and more so the authors of the high school textbooks, would give uh, a little more treatment to uh, the importance of this war. This was. Uh, if you follow right after World War II, and they carved up the countries uh, for occupa- uh, occupation, and we had to split Korea between Russia and us, and, uh, yeah, and of course we know that uh, Russia, Stalin, was bent on spreading communism throughout the world, and we stopped communism in its tracks in North in Korea. So I think that's our legacy. And that's what makes that war so important. It was not, it was not a peace action, far from it. And uh, so I think the, um, the people, the, the school children coming along, ought to know the importance of that effort. And, and, of course, I think second to Mr. Truman's dropping the atomic bomb, I think the second thing was sending troops to Korea. So uh, there are two very profound acts that he had to perform. So we uh, we don't want this to become a forgotten war, and uh, I think with the help of the Korean people, it won't be forgotten.
1: Well, and I assure you, Paul, it is certainly not forgotten by uh, anybody who has been in uniform since those days. Uh, it's it's still an integral part of all military history and training, and uh, thanks to all the, the advances in technology during that conflict, Uh, We are where we are, and we have the advantages that we do now. So uh, it's certainly not forgotten on our part, and we're going to do our best to make sure nobody else forgets about it. Um, Unfortunately, we have to, uh, we are out of time, but I would love to have you back in the future, uh, certainly with some kind of update on what's going on with uh, the Korean Peninsula and the politics over there.
0: Be glad to do that.
1: Well, I I really appreciate it. This is uh, Paul Cunningham, the president of the Korean War. Veterans Association. Thanks again, Paul.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: Take care, sir. And that does it for this episode of The Veterans Report. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to The Veterans Report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at TheVeteransReport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at Join us again at the same time for up to date Veterans news and information. The Veterans Report. Thank you for your service
0: and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon.